<laughs> no. Okay, so so uh, on today's show we've got Aaron McCann, wonderful guy, first AD, director, writer, um, he's been around doing lots of uh, wonderful stuff. Henry and Aaron is some of the stuff he's most famous for, a couple of ads, and, and now uh, Top Knot Detective, it's a feature film uh, mockumentary uh, that's that just recently screened in Austin at Brightfest, and also UK at Temple Screen Fest. I don't know, all the horror film festivals seem to have the same name. Cool, look forward to speaking to him. What did, how did you get started? Okay, so uh, let me see. Uh, right out of high school, I went to TAFE, Central TAFE, which is now the Central Institute of Technology. Um, and I started studying there in 2000, and I graduated in 2003. Um, from that point, I graduated with directing as my uh, forte as well, which... To be honest, wasn't the best choice. I should have probably picked camera because mm-hmm. there wasn't really any jobs for a director as soon as you get outside. Um, yeah. And I found that yeah. kind of like difficult. But what I did have was I AD'd a lot. So as an AD, I kind of moved my way into assistant directing a bunch of other people's short films and then some music videos I was ADing and then... Basically, from that, I jumped around. I must have done like 10 or 12 or more projects as an AD. But always on the side, I would write and direct. And then I think it was about 2004, 5, I started doing some PAC workshops, which were um, the Perth Actors Collective. It was basically about getting a bunch of actors and and directors together to do short little scenes. And originally it was just sort of scenes based off other films. And it was, you know, pretty rudimentary when we started, but it was a good way to to get in touch with actors and find Mm -hmm. more actors. But I kind of went a little bit above and beyond just doing scenes. And I decided to like make a short film every weekend and and try and push my editing and, and push my directing skills and try and get some good camera work. This was way before DSLRs or anything as well. Like when I started, my films were done on 16 and I hadn't never shot on a DSLR. I was shooting mini DV with a film lens in front of it to give it a film look. But yeah, yeah was, I remember those days. Yeah. This is like the, the, the old school days back in the, the tape to tape days. Well, not that bad. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And uh, then, um, then I kind of, I, I jumped onto a feature film, an independent feature film at the time called Director's Cut, which was directed by Paul Comedina. Yeah, Paul Comedina. Yeah. Were you on that, mm. Pasco? Uh, no, I wasn't. No. I, was, I, I met him just after he finished or while he was in the middle of editing that. Uh, so Right. Yeah, see, I, I had done some, you know, there was still the, the, the film funding uh, through the Film and TV Institute. So I had done some second AD work for a friend of mine called Dane Blunder Camden, and he was the first AD on the director's cut. And it was going to be like three weeks away on a farm. And I was like, cool, this, this sounds great. From doing that, I ended up operating the camera on a few shots because the DP was also one of the actors in it. So anytime he was in it, I would end up operating the camera. I like see. I always, I was... Yeah. I always wondered because there's that shot at the start of the film where uh, the it passes the car and that's you go through all. The, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was yeah that was us. I can't. 
on a back road, I think, between like his, I think it was his uncle's property and another farm up the, up the way. It was in Meriden. So mm. I ended up doing that. And then I did a short film after that called At Play with Zach Hildage. And I'd seen his feature film that he did right out of Curtin University called The Actress. And I approached him because I was doing color grading at the time. And I said, hey, man, um, I've just AD'd uh, this, this indie feature. I do a lot of color grading. Do you need a color gradist? And I ended up color grading the actress. And, oh, interesting. Yeah, so I did that. And I did, it, I did his second film first, Plum Roll. So I did that. And then when the actress got distribution, I ended up color grading that. And I color graded like through After Effects and Premiere, like back in the day. This is, yeah, still pretty early on. And then I ended Gee, up getting... that go, that's going back. That that might even be what uh, either Premiere Pro one or like. Premiere oh no, six. Premiere Pro was like it, it would have been like five. I think Premiere <laughs> Pro five or five point five. Oh yeah, so, yeah, I yeah. I think because five point five had like some extra snazzy things in it. Um, but then, then I ended up actually getting funding for a short film, and that was perished which you worked on pasco and was that through a government body that was through the film and tv institute so we got thirty thousand dollars to do that and then we raised we raised another two or three on the side because we had a lot of special effects and 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 makeup effects Mm -hmm. and it was a zombie horror thing so i i knew it was going to be like okay we're gonna gonna have to do a lot that was the first time i had shot on a 5d as well so we had a steady cam with a 5d on it <laughs> so, yeah yeah i remember yeah. doing i remember setting that up because i was um i was in the camera department in yeah, on were, that yeah. and and uh basically uh jim freider who shot it had to uh great steady cam up had to weigh down the 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 top because yeah. the camera was too light yeah it was it was crazy it was it, it was i can't remember if it was one of the first shorts that we did on on that, I, I can't really remember. It's going back a bit now. But we did that in 2010, and it yeah. didn't come out till 2011. And we didn't get our festival run until 2012. So, and in between doing, doing the short, I was working with a friend of mine, Henry Inglis, and we were writing, you know, we wanted to write our feature as well. We were kind of chasing the heels of, of Zach and, and Paul, and we're like, oh, we want to do our feature. Mm feature film. So we've been writing features for a while and one feature we kind of landed on was one about two mates that kind of lived with each other that we were just in our drafting stage called Henry and Aaron because that was us and we knew we'd play the characters. But in order to test it out, we needed to we needed to shoot little shorts. And we had so we started shooting a lot of the Henry and Aaron shorts that eventually wound up online. Again, this is still pre-YouTube. So YouTube didn't really come around until 2008. But, you know, then it was, it was like one of those things of like, yeah, it's nice, but we're not going to put short films on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, we'd go to Tropfest for those, for those things. But um, so we did, we did two or three little shorts. A few have never been seen because they're pretty shit. And then... We ended up doing one called the Yarrising, which was about Henry buys a Yaris, which was 
Um, there was a magazine article that said in 2010, the Yaris was the like queer magazine's number one gay car. And then it was about my character, like jovially kind of going like, ha you bought this car and that means you're gay and blah. And, you know, we were kids. So, yeah. um, but that was fun or funny. And it got a little bit of traction online. It got like two or 3000 hits when we, finally even ended up putting it onto youtube and we were like oh my god we're kind of we're youtube famous with two thousand yeah, views sure. <laughs> i was like wow this is really cool um but then we it, we started it had, um, yeah i think i remember it it had uh that uh what's his name lee big guy yeah lee right? jankowski uh dan yeah. hamill uh burley smith it was myself and henry we actually shot it twice we shot it once um and then something happened like we just needed to reshoot because there was some awful thing and then we had to reshoot a whole scene with a completely different camera and it looked different but um yeah there's like a mix of 5d and old mini dv um we cut it on final cut seven yeah it was crazy but um once we had done that and i had done perish what we did was we took those two things and i believe that's when lauren elliott came on board and she saw us do a reading of the feature film we wanted to do of henry and aaron and um we ended up trying to shoot a tv pilot and i think you were on that as well ben hey, yeah uh, was it the seven steps to stardom no is, this no. was before that that was this is the one that zach hildage ended up directing uh called the ballad of danny danielson i think that eventually oh, went I'm- wound up online uh somehow yeah i'm maybe i, I can't I think, remember yeah, some of the of, some of the projects blur into one yeah it was a shoot that happened like over a year and it was like mm. zach hildage which is originally on board to direct he directed mm. it all but then we were cutting it and during the editing process things changed and we made it for no money so then we then myself and henry ended up directing another section of it mazia lahuti ended up directing two scenes of it Anthony Webb ended up directing a bunch because he was the original DP. And then at the very end, Zach came back because he had just finished doing this other feature, this other indie feature. And he ended up finishing off the film and we ended up having to shelve it um, due to some issue, uh, which I probably won't get into. But but we shelved it. And then um, at that point, Movie Extra, which was on Foxtel, this is now 2012. Uh, they came along and they said, um, Do you, we've got this competition. It's like $60,000 to make a web series and it'll be the first kind of like funded kind of web series thing. And we were like, yeah, sure. So we ended up cutting this pilot that we had into like a minute trailer. And then we put that online and that became a finalist. But then in order to win the thing, we had to get people to vote every day. And we decided to make a Christmas special. Yeah, so I remember over this. the Yeah, over the November, we decided to make a Christmas special, shoot that, and put it online. And it went online, like, on Boxing Day or the day after Christmas, because we just couldn't get our shit together to put it yeah. out on Christmas Day. And then that ended up doing something crazy, like 50,000 views or, or something insane for us online yeah and then we ended up making the series uh henry and aaron's seven steps of superstardom for foxtel right after that um so all in all like from from 
from ending film school to that point, that was almost eight or nine years. So then we did, we got a little bit of extra money to to fill out the the funding for the web series. Mm -hmm. That became... Was that, was that uh, self, like the extra money? Were you in private investor? Or there was, a, there was like... a little bit of private investment. There was a little bit of, uh, I think, Greenwest gave us like, I can't remember off the top of my head, maybe $1,000, something really small or something in kind. And I know FTI mm. gave us some stuff in kind. But what really helped was the Central Institute that where we studied, we went back to them and they gave us some crew and some cash but there was a caveat to that which was you have to make an ad for us and we were like yeah "Yeah, sure no worries whatever (laughs) right so we're like (laughs) i don't want to make an ad but whatever (laughs) so we go and make the the web series and that went really well up until a point when we had a bit of a falling out with um with foxtel but that was i mean that channel doesn't even exist anymore which kind of says a lot to you know, yeah. what what was going on. But there's, a, you know, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Plus, we were quite young and we didn't really know how to deal with kind of notes and executives. And, you know, we'd always been doing stuff by ourselves. Yeah, so, yeah, you, none of, like, no one on the team uh, had had experience like that before at that no, level, right? No, no one had. I mean, the, the show ended up being directed by Zach Hildage, Mazia Lahuti, and Ant Webb, who had all worked with us before. We had mm. never worked under a studio-type system. Some of the notes that we were getting back were, were, to be honest, ridiculous. They just didn't understand a lot of the humor and wanted changes that were stupid. And I'll still stand by that. But we were also kind of like, you know... We're also kind of kids and, and bratty and, and, you know, you don't know what you yeah. don't know. So yeah, sure. um, then at the end of all that, we ended up, you know, a, a few of the episodes got like 100,000 views and then you wow. know, 80,000 views. But then due to our falling out, they, the station decided to like drop it, the last four episodes like online at the same time with like no... Uh, promo or lead-in, and it was like really, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like the best kind of ending. But those episodes never got any traction. But they kept building over time and building over time. Meanwhile, we had to go back and, and make an ad. So we mm. were like, okay, shit, we got to make an ad. We got to we got to do what we said we would do because we got this money to do this thing. So let's go make an ad that'll probably never get on television. And we ended up making it's a snap. And that we shot in like two days or three days, and it took us a week or two to put it all together. It had effect. You can you can check it out online. Um, mm. Then that one, we put it up, and within a day, it had like ten thousand, and then the next day, it had like a hundred thousand, and then after that, My it was goodness. like three hundred thousand. And then it was, it took us two weeks and it was like a million. And then we were like, holy shit, this is kind of, this is going crazy. Now this is 2012, 2013. Do you, do you know what, uh, you know, like 2012, 2013, that's like before Reddit uh, was a thing. Yeah, it was going in, insane. And it was mainly yeah, because it was being shared around 
um, by kind of American celebrities. There was Dan Harmon was sharing it around. There was lots of oh, wow. like, crazy. Yeah, there was there was a crazy kind of influx of, of of people sharing this stuff, and then we started getting calls from the US um, mm-hmm. of like, "Have you guys thought about getting an agent?" Um, and we're like, "Oh, I don't know." So we um we ended up flying to the US and then signing with CAA. Wow. Um, we ended up being able to. They wanted to because. Not only do we have the ad online, which got us traction, we had it linked to a website, which was henryandaaron.com, which had all of our stuff on it. So they could Mm -hmm. see that there was a giant catalog of things that we had. So it wasn't just a one-off. We had lots lots of things to show. And then, and I had a horror film, which that same year was accepted into South by Southwest. So it was kind of like I was going to the States as well. So it made sense for us all to travel at the same time. Sure. Um, so then we, we ended up getting agents and managers, and then they said, we'll put together a pitch for a TV series um, based on Henry and Aaron and come back. And that took us about eight months, and we had built a, a first look with HBO to, to give a pitch to them. Um, yeah. we ended up pitching to them and NBC and Adult Swim and a whole bunch of other places. It didn't eventuate and those things, you know, they happen all the time. You do a pitch yeah. and, yeah. and that, that's okay. But it sort of solidified us in the way that we could continue working on the things that we wanted to work on. And both myself and Henry were working on um, another project, but we got offered to do an ad for the same college. And mm-hmm. they had a more substantial budget, and we ended up making "Set Yourself Free." Um, and at that's the, same, the one on the beach, right? That's the, the one on the beach, yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I got offered to be a cast member in a show in Sydney called Seven Days Later," which was, you know, we'd make an episode of TV every seven days based on audience suggestions, and each episode would have a different celebrity in it, and it was a bunch of YouTubers and improvers, like. Myself, the Bondi hipsters, a bunch of those people. So I was doing that show in Sydney, and then we had delivered the ad, but there was an election in WA at the time, and the Minister for Education saw the ad. He didn't like the ad. He didn't want it associated with a government body. (laughs) Well, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I mean, for for the people who are listening who maybe not seen the ad, a bunch of students skip out on school and uh, go to a beach and then it's, it's a minefield. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that they, a they step, they step on a bunch of mines and, and it looks beautiful. It's a pretty looking ad. Denson Baker. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and we thought, like, why wouldn't anyone find this ridiculous or funny? And, and, you know, if you look at the previous ad, which by that point had, like, close to three million, now it's over three million. But it was like, you'll do this traffic if you, the, the idea is to grab attention. The idea is the message at the end. The idea is to bring traffic back to you. Um, that's sort of the idea of advertising and, and viral internet advertising is to grab your attention and, and then give you the message right at the end. So the Minister for Education didn't like it. I ended up not liking the Minister for Education. <laughs> and and that kind of went back and forth for a little bit. And we were going like, fuck it, we'll leak it. There'll be a whole, like, let's just put it online to hell with it. 
But um, we eventually re-edited it, and this was Henry's decision. I was I was originally against it, but Henry's decision was to make up a uh, a fake college or a fake um, site, and I didn't think that was going to work, and I was wrong, which is totally fine. But he um. He made this Learn for Life Foundation and made up a website to it. And we eventually put that online. And within a day, it had done a million. And within like a couple of days after that, it was like 10 million. Now it's like 22, 23 million. And it's only been out for like two years. But it just wow. kept growing and growing and growing. And um, yeah, it was it that very much made us have to go back to the states keep pitching keep doing stuff um and then at that point let me just see and then at that point myself and henry kind of we'd been working together for almost 10 years and henry wanted to do more he sorry he wanted to do more tv comedy and i had always wanted to do a feature film and i was really adamant on doing a feature film but sbs uh, which is a channel over in Australia uh, for the listeners out there that specializes in um, uh, foreign content and multicultural content. They had contacted me around the time of the World Cup, which was 2014. Am I right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Um, so, the, so the World Cup of soccer, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, so they had contacted me to do a bunch of interstitials just like, you know, a couple of little viral things. Henry didn't want to get involved in that. He wanted to, to continue doing uh, his show called Gavin Tanner with um, Matt Lovkus, which they eventually <laughs> ended up getting to ABC. Myself and Henry parted ways on good terms. It was like, you do your thing. I really want to focus on my thing. And um, I ended up doing these three little ads for the World Cup Two of which again got banned due to like violence <laughs> and gore, but nice. eventually they ended up online. But um, yeah, it was just I have a knack for doing that. Um, but yeah, I see, it, I see a common thread. Yeah, the common thread is like it has to have blood. Always yeah. has to have blood. But then um, from from there, we did the ads with uh, Neil Downward from SBS, who was in charge of. Um, he was going to be in charge of a program called Comedy Runway. Because SBS was mm-hmm. competing with ABC, which is the other government-run station over here, to have kind of this this new influx of internet um, content creators creating web series for their network. Henry had, yeah. had done Fresh Blood, and he was getting up uh, Gavin Tanner. So I decided that I would pitch an idea that myself and Dominic Pierce, who was the editor on Perish, the zombie film that myself and and Ben uh, worked on uh, in 2012, we had an idea for this crazy Japanese samurai mockumentary called Top Knot Detective. And originally it was just going to be like a web series and it was going to like you know, really look at the 90s in Australia. And we had, a, like, our fingers crossed that we'd have, like, Des Mangan on board. Now, Hannah, I don't know if you know Des Mangan. Were you ever? Were you, yeah. Did you ever no, watch? No, I, 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 I used to watch the cult movie every, what was it, 
it's a Friday or Saturday. I see. I can't even remember. But yeah, I remember it changed, it changed a bit. I know. Yeah. Um, but I used to watch it religiously. Yeah. Um, it was the one we were we're not meant to stay up too late to, to watch. We just watched it. Yeah. The, the weirdest movies were always on there. Um, and and Des at the beginning was you know he had a way of at the beginning and the end uh, on SBS at the time for those who are too young don't remember they they would have when they'd in, they'd have someone introduce a movie and then at the end of the movie just give you a little bit more and so and Des had a way of just like introducing these cult movies with a wry smile and uh, yeah and, like, uh, one one or two lines that were that would. Uh, just made you want to keep watching. He got in trouble once, and he did tell this great story when we eventually met him, but there was one movie where I can't remember the title of the movie, so please forgive me for that, but it was like an Italian film, I think, and the character ended up like dying (laughs) mid-coitus. And then as soon as the credits roll, it goes to Des, and he goes, what can I say? Fuck me dead. And then that got, like, letters of complaints. <laughs> and, and he was like, you got letters of complaints, like, from someone who stayed up until midnight. And I said, one, I dropped one F-bomb. And when I heard oh, that, man. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen, I saw that and saw that ending. It was, like, bringing back floods of, um, of things. But Des also wrote the, the movie Hercules Returns, which is another kind of Australian cult classic. But yeah, that was uh, that was originally. I mean, from his involvement in, with Hercules Returns, that was our original take on Top Knot Detective. It was all going to be, we would just grab a bunch of Japanese or or we just thought just any Asian actor, and we would dub everyone's voices in English. But through mm-hmm. talking with SBS, they were they were adamant that we would make it all in Japanese, and I think that was the best decision. And, and best note that we had because then it really made us focus on looking at these older Japanese films, um, looking at the behind the scenes of Japanese actors that were involved in these films and try and cast uh, primarily all Japanese. And myself and Dom don't speak a word of Japanese, which kind of became a little bit of our uh, downfall. We butchered two languages. We butchered English and Japanese. <laughs> so, how, yeah. how did, so you, you, were, you, were, you were both directing this. Yes. Writing and directing. How did you direct in a language you don't speak? Uh, with a lot of difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we... Okay, so I'll, I'll break down how it kind of started. Once, once we... Once we made the, the script and the idea, we, we, got the, we got our actors together for a pilot episode, because Origi- originally this was going to be a, a TV series. Once I had got um, our main actor, Toshi uh, Okazawi, he um, was a, a Japanese teacher in Perth, and we presented him the script in Japanese and got him to translate it for us. Once he had translated it into Japanese, we, we gave that script to all the other Japanese actors. They read it and they were kind of like, oh, I wouldn't say it like this, I'd say it like that. And we completely deferred to them. We're like, because there are, you've got to remember, like in Japan, unlike Australia, there's different accents and different words mean different things depending on where you're from. So Osaka Japanese is different to Tokyo Japanese, which is different to Hokkaido Japanese. So we wanted to be more specific. So we relied heavily on the actors to kind of rewrite their own lines and do a lot of improv. And I had an improv background. So kind of that, 
that allowed us to kind of play with the actors that way. I mean, the majority of the film is based around... I mean, when we eventually went to do the feature film, which was another year afterwards, which, again, we had written it as a web series, designed it to be a six-episode web series, and then basically cut it together into a feature film. But we designed it around interviews with, with the actors as if it was a real documentary. So those interviews, each interview went for about two, three hours. And within that, we knew what their answers would be, but we got them to kind of like say it as many different ways as they, as they would. And then in post, that's where kind of all the fun happened of us realizing the different sentence structures between English and Japanese and where <laughs> words lie. So the editing process was a, was a big challenge on this one. But then eventually, you know, by September 2016, we had completed our first feature film and, and we screened it on SBS 2. Um, and then we, we knew we wanted to go back and finish more things and do a lot more stuff. So we, we reworked the, the visual effects treatment to it and some of the VHSing treatment to it and some of the subtitling as well. We were like, oh, I really don't know how to spell. So <laughs> we changed a bunch of the subs and then we made our feature film version, which was completed in February of 2017. And from there, we have pretty much been doing a solid run on getting it to festivals. And that's my story. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like, if you, if you kind of look at it from when I graduated to now, that's what, like 15 years? Solid. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to work in film? Um, no, I think I was like when I was in when I was in high school, I think it was like mining. Mining's got a lot of money, so I'm going to do mining. <laughs> and then I realized that I would need like a, a a chemistry background or or some sort of engineering background and I was like, "No." And it's hot. No. And I'd always done drama, and I was always like I was the drama kid, but I never knew I could make a career out of it. And I think yeah. it was like year 10 or 11 when I started, I think it was like maybe the DVD boom of like mm-hmm. 1999. <laughs> um, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to do that. I wanted to make films and I just needed to find a way to, to, to skill up and, and yeah. make them. I was always making films in school, but I, I um, yeah. I, I never knew that it could be a career until probably the end of high school. What was your first paid gig? Um, well, it depends what you mean by paid. Like, <laughs> like paid a proper <laughs> living wage, or like. Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe. Maybe. Maybe we'll ask it in two two questions. What was the f- the first uh, time you? Uh, what was the first time you got paid and you were like, "Hey, I I can make money at this." And what was the the time you realized that, "Hey." I can stop doing like uh, a, a, other jobs. Oh, okay. When I just when I first got paid, I think it was actually the director's cut, Paul Comedina's film. Yeah, and maybe it was at play, which was Zach Hildage's um, short film where he got, he got funny. I might have got like a hundred and something bucks out of it, plus free food. So that was nice. that was great. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I still I mean, work for at that food. time I was I was still working like a, a job. I had like a factory job at the at the West Australian newspapers, like making up the newspaper. And I wow. I had pr- pretty much left that job when I had done director's cut and was pretty much unemployed and just did the director's cut and they paid me. Um, and then I ended up getting a job at JB Hi-Fi as a DVD buyer and seller, which I thought was the perfect job because I was around movies every day. Um, sure. And I, I ended up spending most of my paycheck back. I gave that company so much money. I bought so many <laughs> DVDs. Um, but then I, I was still working there up until I made the Henry and Aaron web series, The Seven Steps of Superstardom. At that point, that's when I, and I've never had a, a another job outside the industry since. That's awesome. As soon as I, as soon as I left that job, which was 2012, yeah, 2012, oh no, 2011, 2012, I, I knew I wasn't going to go back. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd want to say like it's been... It's been great, but it has been a struggle. Like there have definitely been years that you're like, "Holy shit, how much did I earn this year?" Ugh. <laughs> but you you do get by, and I think it's like if you really love doing it, you know, it, it's it's not always about the money. It's about that I can't actually do anything else. I can't work another job. I even in, when I was at JB Hi-Fi, I would argue with customers, <laughs> you know, where they would tell me that a movie existed and I would argue with them in the store when I was meant to just nod and agree and tell them they were right. And I was like, no. And, and I would tell them not to buy certain movies because they were shit. And I was like, don't buy that. That's terrible. <laughs> so I wasn't the best, like, seller, but I was honest. When you started working and getting paid, you were doing, still doing first AP jobs, right? Yeah, so... Um, Everything that I got paid for initially was was always firsting, seconding, or thirding. I worked on. I mean, the first big feature film I ever worked on was Drift. I, yep. Actually, no. <clears throat> the first film I ever, ever, ever walked onto a set was Let's Get Skase. Have you ever seen Let's Get Skase? Yeah, I've seen it once. It, it, once is enough. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good. Um, that I skipped out on my geography exam in year 12 to go and be an extra in that film. <laughs> um, because I could be an extra in a film. And that was amazing to me. And I ended up, like, you know, seeing Steadicam uh, work and, and see the grips. I ended up working with the majority of that crew since then. And, I mean, I now sit on the board of the Perth Professional Film Crew. So, yep. which is nice, but, um, you know, and most of the guys worked on that and some are old hats and some are new and yeah, but, um, yeah, the, the first bigger film was Drift where I was a third AD on that, um, alongside Kieran Wilson and that I got to, you know, work with celebrities, which wasn't great, but yeah, <laughs> no, I, 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 I remember, I remember one of the, uh, instances where yeah. yeah, but I don't know if I I don't know if I we should t- tell no, it in this. He, uh, he he who shall not be named. <laughs> he, he should not be named. Yeah. I just remember like I was standing on a lighting tower and and we were rolling. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I could see a the person who should not be named walking up talking and you asking him to be quiet as yes. is your job and him just flipping you off. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that, but you know, big stars, man, big stars. They can do whatever they want, but you know, <laughs> Just like, well, what have yeah, they yeah. done since uh, 
Avatar. No. But anyway. Question. <laughs> yeah. Titan. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But like, I, I mean, I, I totally get it. Like, you mean, there's, I mean, there's always going to be egos with people. And I was always fine with that. I had like a thick skin. So I kind of, it, that never really bothered me. I think it's, it, you know, working where you're a director, you, you have a very different sort of look and feel to working as an AD. And, you know, sometimes when you're the AD, you're kind of the bad guy. You're telling people to hurry up when they can't hurry up. You're, you're, you're telling them that they can't go for another take because, you know, you've got producers down your neck. You're kind of the middleman between the producer and the director. And it can it can put you in a very tricky position, but... I think it's only made me a better director because I I kind of focus on scheduling when I when I break down my scripts now because I know how long it would take me to do it and how long I would give myself to do that. So if I can do it quicker than that and I can make my day, because it is about making a day, um, then I know I'm going to have more time to to play, and I I like having time you, to play. You know, I I find it funny having been on quite a few sets now that the uh that the inexperienced directors are the one who fight with their ad yeah and the uh the more then then they go from fighting to pleading uh yeah. as the experience level goes up and then they just uh defer by the by the time they've done quite a bit of work um because the ad makes you have a film at the end right yeah. director has their their uh their their skills so they, they're directing you know your crew do, are doing everything. They're all professionals, hopefully. But that that there's AD's job is to make sure that you, if you say you're going to film whatever seven minutes in that day, you film seven minutes. You know? Yeah, and that's and and like obviously there'll be you know circumstances out of your control where you don't get stuff and you shift those scenes to another day. But only the AD will be able to tell you if you can shift a scene to that day and what scene you'll have to drop in order to get that. You know, I mean, you know, you're looking at a whole film and you're, and you're rearranging it based on not just like when you can shoot, but people's availabilities, when people are leaving. So there's a lot of, it, it's a very different side of your brain thinking about it as compared to directing. So directing kind of the days end up flying by because you're just watching a monitor, watching a movie most of the days and talking to people and, and um, yeah, it's it's very different hat, but it's good to have an AD sort of mindset looking at things mm-hmm. because then if an AD comes up to you and says, you don't have enough time to do that. And you know, you do, you can go, I'll get it done. But you know, it's, it's always good to, to kind of think about schedule. And also knowing the compromises you, you yeah. can make, like, like you can say, I'll, I'll get it done, but I won't get this, the, the same coverage. I, I thought I get, I just need to get, yeah, you know? I mean, film film is very much about compromise. You know, it's like if if I know that I've got to compromise two hours at the end of the day, then I'll look at something and go, um, okay, we can do this in you know one or two shots instead of like five or six. Then you know when I'm breaking down my my shot list as well, I know that I'm not going to have any more than like twenty setups in the day because it's kind of becomes impossible on the crew. So you kind of you you look at what you can what you can physically manage doing doing the film and still get the best possible story out of it and and yeah I, I've kind of I'm I'm very like lucky to have have the the AD side because I I also kind of like got to interact with 
all the other crew members and learn a lot of the other crew roles and and you don't take anyone for granted you know so it, it's good when you're a director at least kind of knowing what the gaffer and, and the dp and the catering are doing and and how you going overtime affects everyone i i also think that uh it's good to to be friends with the gaffer and the uh yeah. the grip and the caterer and uh unit uh, every department, sound guys, is particularly. If always you're a be director, friends with catering. Always, always be. be <laughs> no, yeah, but if you're if you're if you're friend if you're friendly with them and you get to that day which is terrible, like on on drift yeah. the the day where we were up on that hill and it was just raining down. Oh, yeah. It, the the crew the crew will get it done, but the the the, ne- the next day they're going to be a little bit more tired and and if you're friendly with them, if then they're more likely to go that extra mile. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 about kind of like be friendly, but you know, it, it's still it can be very regimented as well, like yes. an army. You know, it's like be friendly, but understand that we, you know, we're here to do a job and we have to do it. You know, hey, um, I, but uh, well, no, I, so uh, Cloud Street, where yeah. where I see it, Cloud Street, when we had it, the uh, you know, that was a a long shoot for you know, uh, it was a mini series. We had a lot of time, a lot of people, but the director came at. Uh, lunch at least sit down with i saw him he sat down with us once he sat down with uh, i was in the gaff team there gaff and grip he sat with the sound guys he didn't just hang around with the actors or you know the top of the line crew he he made a point of getting around and and it's that kind of thing learning people's names yeah. you know i was i always find that nice it's always like by you know on the first day i don't know anyone's names except my heads of department but by, yeah. by the end of the first week i should pretty much hopefully know everyone's <laughs> name so yeah but then people do come well, and go least, and i walk least... into an office and i'll be like who are you i don't know who you are <laughs> but i always try and make it that anyone can approach me at any point it's never like you you shouldn't you know or be fearful to talk to the director or the producers it's sort of like you can approach me with any issue but some days you know you your mind is in another place and i always try and make a point of like you know, what happens on set stays on set. You know, you can be snappy and, 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 you know, you can be a little, you don't mean to be rude, but sometimes you can be rude, but it's never meant to be taken personally. So I'll always try and like reassure people that, you know, I didn't mean anything by that or, you know, yeah. Which is, which is good. I mean, I've had, I've had plenty of times where uh, a, uh, someone higher up in the chain has yelled at me and then, pulled a beer out of the esky for me at the end of the day oh, same uh, yeah i mean I've, yeah. I've been yelled at a few times it's actually good to get chewed up a few times because it makes you realize <laughs> like you go ah oh, right i did something wrong you learn more from making mistakes than you ever do from never yeah so you know it's as long as like i found that uh that when you when you're starting out people are forgiving of you making mistakes even if they yell at you at the time um much more than than if you if, even the, if it's the way that you make mistakes. So yeah, like uh, uh, you know, if you make a mistake and you you go, I'm sorry, I made that mistake. What can I do next time? You know, like that's a that's a, a better way than getting angry and yeah, for uh, sure, yelling yelling back. Are there things you wish you'd done differently? Um, yeah, like I was saying, like if I if I came out of uh central with a like a technical background like a camera background i'd probably be working more because as an ad you're not 
you're not always working. Um, it's sort of like being a director. You can have like one AD on a on a shoot, but some music videos don't need an AD. Some ads don't need an AD. And there's usually only, you know, there could be like five or six productions, but they'll always revert to ADs that they they know. Um, yeah. And, you know, there could be five or six films directing, you know, at the same time. They can only have one director each. But every film needs the camera department and needs the sound department and needs the lighting department. And there is only three or four of them in WA. So yeah. in order to, to, to get on more sets, like having those practical kind of skills works. I mean, I edit a lot as well, so that, that helps. But um, yeah, I probably would It's not would've... the same as being on set. No, it's not the same as being on set. But I mean, it, it can be like, it, you know, it has its own kind of like skills as well. Like, color grading and, and cutting and, and being able to do some visual effects it gives you a skill set that, that other people don't have. So it's always good to learn, like, as much as possible. Also, I probably would have, like, maybe early on started writing a lot more, whereas I've started writing more now. But if I would have written, like, more features or, or stuff early on instead of just focusing on shorts, I would have had, I'd have more currency now. Because if you look at it at the end of the day, writing a script is the only currency you really have. Because yeah. you can't shoot anything if there is no blueprint for it. And the mm. more you write, the better you get at it. So it really depends if you want to be a writer director, if you want to be a writer. Um, I'd probably like would have focused on not, not about like doing courses or things like that, but I would have started reading more scripts early on. And I would have started writing long form earlier than what I did. That's yeah. that's that's interesting. So where like uh, uh, I've had this discussion with a, a bunch of different people. Where do you sit on uh, the value? Of, uh, what's what's your position on the value of short um, short films? Like, uh, are you very much pro them? Are you sort of like indifferent? You know. Uh, um, hmm. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I. When I started, like, the short film was mm-hmm. that great calling card that gets you into a film festival. Yes. Once, once we kind of go into our internet sort of era that we're in now, the short film becomes the web series. The short film becomes mm. the, I don't need to wait to get into a film festival. I can put it online and I can get eyeballs to it as long as I play the game and push it out to as many places as possible. A, a a few awards at some festivals will are nice and they'll get you seen by more people but you know the difference between jumping from a short to a feature is is substantial yeah i'm in the mindset now where i'm more about doing long form where it's tv series half hour or you know films that are 90 minutes and above but I always have ideas for little shorts, but I think if I'm going to do them, I would do them as as short little online things or sketches or fake ads. Well, I did one for the Gruen transfer like a little while yeah, ago. Yeah, so. I, uh, you posted it to, yeah. uh, to Twitter the other day. I saw that. Yes. It's quite funny. Um, I, I didn't write that I, one, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say with the... What, what, 
Yeah, I think that it has changed. You're right that that YouTube has changed the way that that short films exist. But what I I think I've seen is that the people who are very successful on YouTube are just creating content all the time. That level of content is a you know that level of content creation is a is a different skill set. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was like someone put it in. I there was a conference i went to where someone said it's the difference between like hero content and hygiene content and hygiene content is that content that you you know like hygiene you do it every day you know or you Mm. do it every week or you do it every every month it's like at a set time you know this video is always going to drop um whereas hero content is that once every once in a while there will be this thing and a lot of time and effort goes into it and that's you know your proof of concepts like um, I mean, you've seen some great proof of concepts come up now that feature films have been attached to proof of concept trailers, proof of concept shorts, you know, a scene or or something that people put a lot of time and effort into. But I wouldn't also yeah. discount yeah. like hygiene sort of content of like you know stuff every week, like it, podcasts like this. That's hygiene hey. content. It's once every kind of like once in a while. And they're fantastic. <laughs> Especially this podcast. Once, yeah, in, a once, while, every, once in a while. But I mean, like, they're, I mean, I've become, I've started listening to more and more podcasts now. And I find that that's also a new form of great, interesting storytelling. You know, it brings you back to the idea of the radio play. And that can be a proof of concept as well. If you, especially if you own the idea and you own the writing to it, you own the IP. If you own the IP, then you can on-sell that. I was reading about uh, a couple of podcasts have been picked up, one of, one of which is um, Gimlet Media's uh, Homecoming. Yes. And, it's, uh, and that ha- is now going to be a TV series, and I can't remember the name of it. Well, Amazon, uh, yeah. Amazon Prime just released Law yeah. as a series, which was originally a podcast. Mm. So, it's kind so, of crossing over now. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, they're, they're looking for content everywhere because there's a lot of money. Particularly yeah. here in the states, uh, flowing into uh, you know the golden age of television. So but also the uh, golden age of VR, and mm-hmm. you know, like that is something yeah. that I'm not so familiar with. Especially because, like, I I was a gamer up until a point, but then I kind of fell out of it and looked towards more traditional narrative storytelling. But if you're making interesting VR stuff. There is such an avenue and so much money in that space to play with. It's just no one's cracked the the narrative storytelling point for a, a longer form or up to a half hour within a VR sort of space or an or an AG space as well, like yeah. augmented reality storytelling. Like when when are we going to ha- start looking at that? And it's going to take trend setting. And it's sort of like the early days of YouTube, which is only 2008, you know, yeah. like, I mean, you kind of, it's not even 10 years and it's got to the yeah. place that it is now where YouTube has, is paying for content with YouTube Red. So, you yeah. know, the, we've, we've moved quite far in quite a short amount of time. So I'm sure that the other formats will jump exponentially. You, uh, you obviously had great success online in the early days and a lot of that can be attributed to the content you're creating but what other like what sort of publicity were you guys doing were you on twitter did twitter even exist then like how were you getting that content out to people yeah i think when when we put it online when we put it on 
on YouTube. We, Lauren Elliott uh, worked in PR. Um, so she ended up kind of getting us some local spots on TV and some local kind of like uh, mentions in a magazine. But it really was out of our control. I mean, yeah. those ones that got like 2 million or 20 million, that was Reddit. And that was something I had no, I didn't even really know about. So, yeah. you know, I saw a jump to, you know, a couple of million in a few days. And most of the comments were like, came here from Reddit. And I was like, okay, I got to get onto this Reddit thing. But someone had just put it there. And it really, and then it was, it was finding and sourcing it back to Twitter because we had pushed it on Twitter a little bit, but we didn't have a lot of followers, maybe a thousand at the point. But um, mm-hmm. someone shared it and someone found it and, and sent it to Chris McQuarrie, who directed Mission Impossible, who sent it to Dan Harmon, who sent it to John August. And it was a bunch of celebrities saw it. And when they posted it up, obviously they've got a larger mouthpiece. So yeah. more people get to see it. Um, a lot of the things that are viral successes, there isn't a formula to it. It's it's very zeitgeisty and and like you know whatever right place, right time. Yeah, right place, I mean, right time. And also, you know, you had the whatever the super user uh, phenomenon. You you got noticed by yeah by the, the these yeah. trendsetters and that that kind of pushed you around. Uh, no, it, it was interesting. I remember. I can. I remember when the It's a Snap got uh, up to three million views, and was thinking, how did, how did you guys manage that? Other than it's a good little uh, piece. The but, the uh, honest answer is I don't know how. But when I'm talking to advertising <laughs> agents, I'm like, well, let me tell you how to make a viral campaign. Because I know all the ins and outs. Um, yeah. Well, well, you've got experience. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have experience with getting luck, and I think like luck has a big part to play in it because I, I did stuff after the it's a snap stuff and in between it's a snap and set yourself free where we where we tried to follow a similar formula but it just never quite worked it didn't get as much traction as it should have so I've always kind of gone like just you know instead of trying to second guess or try to do something that you have done before just kind of follow that thing that you really really love which is why like when we ended up doing top not detective it was very much about just a love letter to sbs and those cult movies that we had watched at the time and Mm. people seem to really enjoy it i mean we're still kind of like look it's still a culty sort of thing and and we're still trying to like get proper distribution on it but we're in a different game now over you know how many eyeballs i can get online out of just out of interest, and uh, with Top Knot Detective, because there, well, certainly I, I only saw the the bit that went on to SBS because uh, um, I know the longer version's been on uh, making the round. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, did you did some of the Australian stuff like Des Manga, Did that translate well for international audiences? Um, yeah, I mean they they kind of. I mean, I'm going off responses from fantastic fest and and fright fest in the uk they some had seen hercules returns so it was it was great for them some hadn't some understood that he was a curator of movies because that sort of explained at the beginning what's the uh what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given um fail 
and Fail Big from Robert Rodriguez at a talk at South by Southwest. <laughs> so it, it, and pretty much that, that you learn from your failures more than you do from your successes. So, you know, if you, if you fail big and you fail early, you'll know what not to do. You know, experiment, play with things, find out what doesn't work because then you know what does work. Um, yeah, and just, you know, just keep going. You know, just keep making films. There should be no kind of excuse to, to not, you know, if you want to just start in short films, there's no excuse to not get out and just grab a camera and make something every other weekend and then cut it together. You know, like yeah. if you if you have nothing but time and you're you're money poor, then just go and shoot anything with your friends. I mean, you see these amazing filmmakers making films for ten thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, or nothing, yeah. and they have a feature film at the end. Once you have a film, that's that's something that can be sold. Yeah. yeah. But if you just have an idea, well, that's something that can be stolen. Sure. Uh, so thanks for thanks for coming on and, and right. uh, chatting with us. Uh, um, where can people find you? Uh, oh, you can find me at my house. <laughs> um, sometimes <laughs> driving in my car. Uh, currently, I'm I'm still based in Perth, Western Australia. Um, I'm currently about to start work on another film next week. Um, oh, nice! That I so exciting. can't really talk too much about, but um, which is good. It's really good. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll I'll be based here for at least another year. Um, and you can find me on Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram. Just search Aaron McCann. You, I'm I'm one of two, and we're both Irish, so. Um, <laughs> Look for the one with the history of blood and gore. Yeah, although the other one is a fantastic comedian as well, who um, is very funny. Um, but uh, yeah, we kind of get confused, and people tweet at us for the wrong things. Uh, I've got, <laughs> I've got at least one other Ben Pasco who's a, a filmmaker, and there's another Ben Pasco who takes photos. So no matter what I do, I get confused with somebody. Damn them. <laughs> No, oh. I mean, it's been really good chatting and hopefully there's, there's been some interesting things there, Hannah. And you... It's been really interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for letting me waffle on and, and just talk shit. Everyone says the same story, right? They all say, you know, work hard. Get, it's who, who you get to know people. Be good, you know. Be nice. Be nice, network, uh, do small stuff, uh, try to fail, you know. And but but it, but it, but each person's story is is interesting, you know, like and and different. Yeah, but I also think it's sort of like I I see now because I, I I still go back and teach at film schools occasionally, and I do see mm. this sort of over, you know, like I I need to have it now. I need to kind of mm. like be the success now, and I you know w- will I get it now? And for me, I go well. It's you know it's going to take. It took me 15 years. It's going to take you at least 10 before there's anything really, you know, worthwhile to come out. Well, that's from my journey. But also, I remember that back then, when I was at film school, I was in the same mindset of now. I need to have it now. So it is good to have that hunger. Um, Mm. 
but it's but be realistic and kind of go look five to ten ish years after film school you'll get something you know and it really depends on where you want to go if it's directing i mean do you write as well hannah um sometimes i need to do more of it and if anything this podcast is everyone is like write more do more writing so i'm gonna get onto that but if it's not about writing find a writer that you really love you know like find someone who you've worked with and who you enjoy working with and go hey let's make something together i like your writing i hope that i can add a different style to it and yeah. Go up, bring bring them up with you. I mean, I, w- I wasn't able to have the success that I had had it not been for working with Henry, working with Stefan, working with Dom. So I've always had, and now, we're, you know, I've had a little unit around me. And mm-hmm. you do need to kind of build a team because that team will, will only help you kind of like go through. It's, you know, we're in an industry that, that prides itself on collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. And and particularly like that, like like all of that group because I I you know I think I first met you through uh, Stefan, yeah. uh, um, and, and uh, um, at one of his parties, yeah. uh, at that house he you know the famous parties, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is that kind of like when you're first starting out, the industry can seem impenetrable. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of people doing. Who are experienced and it's and yes, you can you start at the bottom rung and you work your way up. But when you have a group, it encourages you to make stuff because it, all of them are making stuff and they they're doing great stuff and they're furthering their career and that that kind of that that kind of is a, a positive a positive thing too. And also, don't be afraid to contact people who have done it for a while. I remember like when I got out of film school, asking grips and gaffers to work on my film for me for nothing i felt intimidated like i couldn't ask them for that like that's that's silly but you'd Mm. be surprised you know and if someone asked me to ad a film for them and i wasn't getting paid i'd still probably have a look at it or read the script you know like because there's definitely going to be times that i'm going to be like okay well i'm not you know i'm not working you know, right now, but yeah. I've done music videos because someone's called me up and said, "Are you? can you shoot and direct something for me next week? And I've gone, yeah, sure. That ad that I did for Gruen Transfer was a phone call the week before of going, mm. we've got a script and we've got to turn around. Can you do it? There's not that much money in it. And I went, yeah, sure. Like say yes to everything. And yeah. you'll be surprised that a lot of professionals will do the exact same because they want to find those new people that they're going to be working with. And I'll still continue to work with those, those bigger people. I'll pay them. But, you know, you, your first kind of interaction with them, you've got to pick up the phone and ask and not be afraid to ask. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's also, I mean, if you're targeting the, the big boys, sometimes they, they might say, no, I, I can't do that. But my uh, best boy here needs a bit of experience yeah. or needs a, and, uh, and they're happy to do it. I used to, I used to get, uh, uh, um, actually, yeah, Gavin Tanner. So Gavin Tanner, uh, they called, they contacted Jean. They contacted Jean. Jean said, uh, maybe, uh, Tim Goodacre would do it. And Tim was like, oh, no, I, I can't do it. I'm not available because there's an ad that pays real money. And, uh, and they said, 
uh, here, Ben, Ben will do it. So, like, it went down a chain to the, like, I was the third electric and suddenly I'm gaffering something. Yeah, but the thing is, like, even by you doing that, it still means that the filmmakers are sort of in contact with that higher gaffer as well. So it's like, even though... And it's it's his equipment. Yeah, you make that headway. If it it works really well and the relationship's good, then you've made Mm. a connection. And it's the same with, like, writers and, and stuff as well. Like, read lots. Read as many scripts as you can, especially if you can find stuff that's coming out of Australia. But find writers that you know. Um, there's yeah. some great writers in, in WA as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. look for them from around the world. Or buy a, a Stephen King dollar baby and adapt it yourself, which is what Zach did with 1922. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, uh, contacting a scriptwriter is what um, Grant Spatori has done with his um, his With film. Mother, yeah. Yeah, and then they worked on something that didn't, Almost got funding, didn't get funding, and then they they stopped that. And uh, I know because I, I did a draft of that script for for um, <laughs> for them. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's there's so many different ways into the industry now, um, but it's still about you know it's not going to happen overnight. But when that success no. does come, it feels like it's overnight. Like when we got the internet thing, it felt like who are these people? But we had been doing it at that point for about seven years. Thank you. Thanks again. And uh, no worries. Um, I will probably, even though we kind of ended the the podcast, you said some really interesting stuff. So I'll probably cut that before. <laughs> oh yeah. And have then. Feel free to cut it all. And and thanks very much for having me, guys. Okay, that was Aaron. That was great. What a cool guy. A really nice guy. Really open. Uh, such an interesting journey. Yeah. And Once again, make your own work. And it shows perseverance. If you, yeah. If you keep going, it'll get it done. Yep. Okay. So, Hannah, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Pasco across the internet um, or Hannah Poppy Pasco. And uh, you can find me if you're looking for uh, to make a video at... Uh, benpasco.net or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Society of Ben. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Also, um, sidebar, keep your ears out for uh, Animal Junk coming soon from Pasco and Pasco. Yeah, it's our new podcast uh, where we talk about animal junk. <laughs>